They say when the sun goes down, the king of the fairies reclaims the castle. Maybe he'll invite us to supper. No, you'll be dining alone without me. One taste of the fairies' banquet, and you'll never return to this world. Oh, don't tell me you believe those stories. Believe? No. But I do respect them. Can I ask you something, Katie? Please. Have you a man waiting for you at home? No. Are you looking for one? <laughs> Why? Do you have somebody? In Fairhaven? Not unless you fancy a pig farmer. Oh, not my type. Well, what about a barkeep who reads poetry in strange places? Gimmicks, a podcast about the high-concept, experimental, structure-breaking gimmick episodes of TV, from musicals to bottle episodes to a classical 19th-century romance and folktale in space. I'm Derek B. Gale, and who's with me today? My name is Eric Berry, also known as TrekkieB47 from the Starfleet Escape podcast, as well as Ranger Command Power Hour. Nice, nice. Now, hey, Eric, if you had to spend a day in an idyllic 19th century town uh, how would you spend your day like i don't know game of rings arm wrestling reading poetry by a train i would i would probably go to the coast side that they never went to yeah. i would go to the irish coast side i love that i love that i was thinking like climbing the mountain to castle odell or whatever right. I'm like, i would have i would have liked to see that but okay <laughs> We'll never see that. <laughs> we are talking about a pair of episodes from Star Trek Voyager, season six, episodes 11 and 17, entitled Fair Haven and Spirit Folk. Real quick, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Star Trek Voyager, uh, it was a science fiction drama, obviously, uh, aired from 1995 to 2001 on UPN. It was the fourth live action Star Trek series, premiered a couple of years after Deep Space Nine and ran concurrently alongside it, created by TNG alums Rick Berman, Michael Piller, and Jerry Taylor, and follows the Federation starship Voyager, which was transported to the Delta Quadrant more than 7,000 light years from Earth. 70,000. It's, Seven, it's 70. It, yes. It's so, 70. so far away. <laughs> so far away. So it follows their very, very, very long journey to return back home. Uh, notable, uh, mostly, I mean, it's notable for a few things, but mm -hmm. I think most, mostly for uh, having the first female lead captain uh, in a Star Trek series with Catherine Janeway, played by the great Kate Mulgrew, uh, and just generally being the most gender balanced cast in yeah. Star Trek up to that point, which is very cool. Um, but yeah, Eric, what's your personal history with, I guess, both Star Trek and Star Trek Voyager? Sure. So I am a second generation Trekkie. My dad uh, grew up with the original series. And uh, in the 70s, he was actually uh, one of the first people to go to a Star Trek convention, the big uh, uh, first Star Trek convention that was in New York. And when I was five years old, uh, during the premiere of Star Trek The Next Generation, I vividly remember him sitting me down in front of the TV and being like, okay, we're going to watch 
Star Trek The Next Generation. And uh, from then on, I've been a Star Trek fan. I've been a Trekkie. And it's it's awesome. So I remember all the, you know, episodes of, of Next Generation. And um, Deep Space Nine was a little different. I, I didn't get introduced to that until a few years into its run just because uh, Deep Space Nine was in syndication. And for whatever reason, uh, where I lived at the time uh, before I moved to uh, the state I'm in now, uh, just I, they didn't carry Deep Space Nine. So, mm-hmm. uh, so Voyager, Star Trek Voyager, um, was kind of like my second Star Trek series um, growing up with TNG and knowing a little bit about Deep Space Nine. I, I probably watched a few episodes of DS9 here and there. But Voyager was, it premiered when I was in eighth grade and ran throughout my high school years and uh, first, you know, year or two of college. And it was my formative, I I know I grew up with Next Generation. I, I very much loved those characters and those stories, but Voyager was happening at a time when I was growing up, when I was going mm. through puberty and being a teenager in high school. And and so I, I very much connected with Star Trek Voyager. Um, I remember every, because it was on Mondays and then it was on Wednesdays. And <laughs> I, I literally recorded almost every episode on, on VHS at the time, uh, just to, nice. you know, go back and, and have those. Yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, Voyager was and and still is one of my top favorite Star Treks. I love Kate Mulgrew. Uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting her uh, twice in in the past few years. Uh, Most recently, I met her last month at the uh, Star Trek mission Chicago. Uh, That was Teresa's first time. Uh, Teresa's my wife and. Uh, she's been, we've been doing a Voyager rewatch and she really loves Captain Janeway too. So it was her first time getting to meet Kate Mulgrew. And um, yeah, I just, I love the cast. Yeah. I love the show. It's awesome. Oh, that's so fun. Uh, yeah. No, Kate Mulgrew is so cool and she's so good mm-hmm. <laughs> in this show. Yes. I know her, at least I, I think she might have more than one memoir, but I know the one memoir born with teeth was, was really, really good. Yeah. That that's, wrote. that's the, um, uh, I think it was her second memoir. She was doing a book signing and uh, mm. she just happened to be like in my state and doing a book signing. I'm like, I'm going to that. And uh, so, so I have her second book signed and, and then my wife uh, picked up her first book and got that signed uh, when we were at the convention. So uh, That's yeah, so good. yeah, she's Camel Grew's awesome. It began as a routine mission. There appears to be a massive displacement wave moving toward us. And it would change their destiny. Captain, there's something out there. Brace for impact. One crew and one ship's epic journey 70,000 light years away. We're on the other side of the galaxy. Now it's a quest to get back home. Why are you holding us here? See it from the beginning. We have no way back unless you send us. On the premiere of Star Trek Voyager. It's it's funny. I I talked about this on the next generation episode I did earlier this year, but like my my Star Trek history, it's it is kind of similar in that my dad was a Trekkie of the original mm-hmm. series. He went to a convention like early on, but I I don't, it wasn't like a big New York one or something. Right, right. So I, I and I don't know if it was during TNG or right before it, but it was like he was a big fan of Star Trek. But my dad was never the kind of guy that like 
tried to get me into what I was into, mm. like a lot of parents do to mm-hmm. their kids. So I would get a lot of stuff through osmosis, um, you know, and some stuff I would get into because I wanted to. But with Star Trek, it was always a thing where like I it, it always felt like my dad's thing that like I saw a lot of, but it never like felt like my and my dad's thing together, you know. Oh, okay. Um. So I would. So so I think I I'm not really much of a Trekkie myself, and I haven't seen a lot. Like, there's a lot of Star Trek that I haven't seen, but there also is a lot that I have seen just yeah. because it was always on TV growing up. Um. But all of that is to say that like my dad wasn't really into deep space nine, but he was very into TNG and he also watched quite a bit of Voyager. Mm. So I think Voyager, uh, was probably the one that I saw the most growing up after TNG. Nice. And then my ex that I was living with a few years ago was going, had never seen Voyager and, and was independently watching through all of it. So I caught a lot of it while he was watching it. And so I think like, Voyager might actually be the one that I'm probably most familiar with out of all of them, just because I've seen a big chunk of it more recently, Yeah, which is kind of interesting because I know that Voyager is like, uh, maybe, I don't know, you're in, you're in the fandom, yes. so maybe I'm off base here, but I've always got the sense that Voyager was kind of a little bit of the redheaded stepchild of Star Trek for a long time, or at least like one that oh is my God. less beloved, maybe? I, I, could, <laughs> I could go into so much about like the early <laughs> online fandom because um you know during the time that it was airing um I had internet and AOL and there was I remember the Trek BBS which was the uh, bulletin board at the time for uh Star Trek forums and it, it seems like every new series seems to be <laughs> like the the redheaded stepchild for someone sure. and sure. Uh, yeah, there was there was quite a number of people who were very uh, divisive or divisive about uh, Voyager, and that only continued into the next series, Enterprise, which uh, is another one of my yeah. absolute favorite Star Treks. Um, and you're seeing it a lot today with uh, with the newer uh, generation of shows that Paramount Plus is putting out. But I think over the years. Uh, you know, Voyager has become a lot more highly regarded, especially sure. because of uh, Kate Mulgrew as Captain Janeway and what you said before, just the gender balance cast. And for me, the show is very much about family and they have that theme throughout a lot of the seasons, pretty much even beating your head over it in, in the seventh season about how much <laughs> they're a family. But um, but it, it very much is, uh, it has that very familial uh, feeling to it. And I, I think over the years, people have softened their takes on Voyager. But yeah. uh, I know, you, you know, there's a big uh, contingent of women fans that, that love Voyager too. And, and, beca- sure. and rightly so, because Captain Janeway is awesome. She is, yeah. she's a leader. She's a badass. She's... Uh, just an incredible woman and I she's she's a role model she yeah. she really is a role model yeah I have to imagine too it's like it's different now than if you're watching it at the time because at the time if you're watching Voyager like if you are watching Voyager and DS9 like concurrently right. DS9 is doing a lot of like more like complex serialized story arcs and stuff and Voyager never really did that to the same extent I think sure. just because of the nature of the premise of the show and I could sort of see well how like if you're watching and making that comparison at the time it might feel like weaker or whatever but it was just doing a doing something different. It was just a very different kind of show. Yeah. And, and to your point, like when, when 
Deep Space Nine was ending um, because Deep Space Nine uh, was on the first two years of Voyager. Like, so they were wrapping up. And by that time, uh, I was actually watching Deep Space Nine on the regular and it was still in syndication. So, um, yeah, Deep Space Nine had a very, very uh, serialized story, especially the, the last few seasons. And I didn't mind it because... Voyager, even in its later seasons, there there's still like elements that they'll bring up and uh, continue to, you know, talk about. And it felt slightly more serialized than I say next generation, because next generation was mm-hmm. highly episodic. I mean, that was it was pretty much just going around the galaxy. And Voyager felt like that. For me, Voyager felt a little bit of a feeling of the original series due to the exploration, they're completely Mm -hmm. alone out there and uh, TNG as well, because they were going back to a starship exploring space, which deep space nine was very much structured around a single space station and point in space, which, you know, they eventually branched out, but for the majority deep space nine was very centralized location. The aliens were coming to them. They weren't going to the aliens. It makes sense. It makes sense. And yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm glad to hear that it seems like people kind of have warmed up to Voyager over time. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, I, I know that there, uh, there's bad episodes in any Star Trek sure. show. Like For I'm sure, sure the ratio from in, in, in Voyager is not that much different than like TNG is or yeah. anything. So, yeah. Um, and this episode, I guess there's more controversy to talk about because reading yes. up on this episode, I was surprised at how hated these episodes we're talking about yeah. are online because I really enjoyed <laughs> them actually a lot. But and you know what? The reason the reason I picked them was because like I knew this would fit the gimmick of a mm-hmm. holodeck episode. And this is a little bit, you know, it's taking a little bit of the themes from past holodeck episodes but kind of doing this twist to it where, you know, the holograms are a little bit more sentient and um, Mm. there seems to be a a little bit more going on. But I remember even at the time when these originally aired, people hated these episodes. And when I was doing some research and and rewatching it over the weekend, I kind of was like looking through Twitter. I just put in like, Fairhaven Voyager in the Twitter search. Cause I wanted to see like what people were thinking now. And it's still super uh, divisive. Like people either love these or hate them. And I, I guess one thing we should talk about is that there are a lot of Irish stereotypes. Sure. In, 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 yeah. in this, and I think a lot of people were focusing on that. There's a horrible, horrible episode of Next Generation, like early on. It's I think it's called Down the Ladder or whatever. And there's literally like they went to a planet of Irish people and like they beamed up oh boy. like the the most like it almost it they had to talk the writer and producer out of having a freaking leprechaun in the show. Like that's how oh bad God. it was. But but obviously these episodes aren't to that level. Um but yeah, I mean, it's a historical thing. So, you know, people have gripes on on the historical context based on it. I look at it through a lens of, you know, they're like 400 years or 500 years removed from that time period. Right. And basically it's a 
romanticized version of, <laughs> you know, a sleepy Irish town. So that's how I look at it. I think that makes a lot of sense because basically like the way that I when I was watching it, the way that I kind of read what they were doing, like, is that the gimmick of of both of these episodes it, it isn't just that they're placing the, it, it isn't just that it's a holiday right. holiday episode placing the characters in a 19th century Irish town called Fairhaven. Like obviously that's the basis of it, but then they're also playing in different genres, like more period appropriate yes. stories that you would have. So you have fair, the Fairhaven episode is like a classical romance novel essentially. Right. And then, and then spirit folk is like a supernatural fae folk tale, like both that you would read in like 19th century literature, mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense. And I think it's sort of just like a genre homage that you're placing the Trek character into. Like, I think it works fine in that regard, you know? Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about Star Trek holodeck episodes is because they can do these like genre bending time period pieces without going back in time. I mean, next generation, mm -hmm. uh, you had Picard in a crime novel holodeck adventure with the Dixon Hill, uh, various Star Trek episodes. They had, uh, you know, professor Moriarty versus Sherlock Holmes. There are mm -hmm. so many things that they've done in holodeck episodes, you know, across the entire Star Trek franchise that, um, you know, lend to the genre period piece type storytelling. In the 1900s, many ships were lost in the Bermuda Triangle. In the 24th century... Where'd it come from? We're already feeling its effects. Will history repeat itself? I'll have to ride it out. An all-new Voyager. Voyager can be programmed to create virtual worlds. They're not people, they're holograms. But what happens... I'm late for a moonlight stroll. ...when the computer's hard drive... I got a boyfriend who malfunctions. ...goes haywire. Would you like to kiss me? Of course. An all-new Voyager. <laughs> I talked about this a little bit on the TNG episode I did before... I kind of get if you are a person who isn't into the holodeck historical episodes, because like I, the, when I, when I would see them as a kid, I would be like, well, that's gotta be boring. Right. Like I'm watching a space show for them to like be in space and shoot lasers and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like that's how I felt as a kid. And I know my dad felt the same way. And I feel like there's a lot of tr people who have always felt the same way, you know, that it's just sure. like you see a holodeck episode. It's a snooze because it's not, it's not, it's not Star Trek. It's not sci-fi. So I, I kind of understand if you're just never going to be in on it, like it's just never going to be for you. Yeah. And that's, that's it. Um, but I do think it's always bizarre to me when they're considered like the worst episodes like this. They're, one is. And like, they're definitely not. They're definitely right. Not. They're not like, it's not that they're messy episodes or poorly written episodes or whatever. It's just that they're kind of doing a very specific thing that you're not into. Um, and so you never, would have liked them in the first place, but it doesn't mean they're badly constructed episodes. Um, in fact, I think I think the first episode of this pair is like in, an incredibly strong character study yeah, for Janeway, that, like for Janeway that you never that you very rarely see yes. in the entire show. And I think that's an episode that people probably cast off because it's like, well, it's just like a romance novel, and romance novels are bad. So that means this episode is bad, and like. Maybe you just think, I mean, maybe you just have bad views on romance novels. Like, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> well, 
for Fairhaven, one of the big things, because both of these episodes took place in uh, the sixth season, and mm -hmm. this was a season after they reestablished contact with Starfleet, and you know, through the last season and, and through episodes leading up to this one, um, you know, Janeway left the Alpha Quadrant with, um, you know, she was engaged um, to her boyfriend. And then, mm. you know, you find out in the fifth season when they reestablish content with Voyager that, you know, she held on to that relationship for so long and he moved on because he thought mm. she was dead. And... Right. This is the first, you know, aside from maybe like one or, or two, um, you know, maybe a little fling that she had or romantic interest. This was really the first episode that that kind of dealt with, um, you know, her opening up a little to the possibility of having a relationship. I just don't think a lot of people like that. It was a holodeck character. And, sure. and a lot of that deals with because so many people at at the time were shipping her and Chakotay and hoping sure. that they got together. And I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it, but there's, there's even a moment in this episode where, you know, Chakotay kind of acknowledges <laughs> what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. That that's actually really interesting context. I, I had forgotten that that was a thing that had happened yeah. in this show. And yeah, so that is kind of interesting context that it's sort of like, it is kind of the right time to write like a, a romance kind of story for Janeway. And it's not even like, it isn't like, Oh, she's end game with this holodeck character. Right, it's right, just sort right. of like, what if she just had fun and tried it out and see what happens. And she has a whole philosophical ethical dilemma about it. Like, and it's all really interesting. And that's, that's what Star Trek is about. These big yeah. ethical, and like moral dilemmas and you know this this interpersonal struggle and um she has a conversation with the doctor towards the end of this episode and he makes all the right points it's like yeah. look everyone else on this ship is below you like you don't have the option to have you know a romance mm -hmm. with many people of this crew and you know what's the harm in you know, a uh, you know, an alien that you're going to be passing and leaving in a day anyway. Like, and he brings up a really good point. Like, you know, out of all the options, maybe a holodeck love interest isn't, <laughs> isn't that terrible of an idea. And yeah. that, that's something that, I mean, come on, it's a holodeck. You can do anything in the holodeck. Right. D space nine made holodeck and hollow suites. I mean, quark, has a Vulcan love slave program. Like that's yeah. like holodecks are supposed to be for horny fun time. Yes. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's like when you're on a starship, I like, what are you going to do after hours? And that's the whole right. reason the holodeck is there. It's to have fun. It's to do whatever you want without any consequences and, you know, not go stir crazy in space. Exactly. Yeah. Internet's already off of porn, basically. Right. So, like, of course, the holiday's going to be that, like, up to 11. So, of course, I was really bummed to sort of see that, like, uh, at least I found a, I, I found a couple of interviews where Kate Mulgrew, like, doesn't seem to have a lot of love for for these episodes. Um, mm. Like, she's not, like, hating on them, but it's very much a sort of like, yeah, eh, it's cool that she fell in love. I wish she didn't fall in love with a hologram, though, you know. <laughs> Um, so like, she's very tactful about it, but sure, it's very sure. clear that she's not into it. Um, which I mean, that's fine. That can, that's her opinion. She's nailed. She's great in these episodes. Oh yeah. So like 100%. she commits to it. Um, it does kind of bum me out. Cause I do feel like 
I, I don't know that it's, it is such a compelling to me as an audience member, that's such a compelling sort of idea to explore. And, and I do wonder, like, I don't know, it, it could have also just been the times too. Cause I think people, uh, pe- viewers, I think tend to be a little less like prudish now than they maybe right, were at the right. time and maybe would be more open to just like, yeah, of course the captain's going to fuck in the holiday. Right. It's happen. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and a lot of people seem to forget that, Early on, like first season, second season, she also had another holodeck program where it was very Victorian and (laughs) she was like a teacher in a couple, like, like a teacher or, um, what do you call it? Like kind of like the, the, the house mom for this estate and watching Mm -hmm. the, the Lord, like the Lord's kids. And there's, that's a whole other like couple episodes, but you know, Janeway has, and Janeway as a character has an affection for that time period and that like Victorian, you know, 18th, 19th century. And, and people forget that. And, uh, mm-hmm. it, it had been so long between the sixth season and, you know, those first couple seasons that, you know, I think people tend to forget that, you know, she had that kind of Victorian interest before all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It all checks out. Yeah, can't it all be, works. Can't be, a, can't be a bad episode, but it all makes sense. So, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's start to get into these. We'll 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 dig into sure. these episodes one at a time. They kind of go hand in hand. you want to watch this show along with us it is streaming on paramount plus this first episode we'll talk about fair haven uh this was episode 11 of season six the synopsis per imdb is captain janeway falls for an irish barman character <laughs> she modifies within tom's holodeck irish village re- recreational getaway oh my god that was such a long descriptor <laughs> that she did for that for the crew called fair haven <laughs> <laughs> the original air date was January twelfth, two thousand. The first, the first episode of the of the new millennium. For oh Star wow! Trek. Yep. First episode of the new millennium, and it's, it's all about a throwback <laughs> to nineteenth century. <laughs> Looking forward, I love it. <laughs> This episode was written by Robin Bernheim, who was credited then at the time as Robin Berger. Uh, She was a producer on Voyager and writer on TNG, uh, along with being a producer on Quantum Leap and a story editor. Yeah, and a story editor on Remington Steel. She also wrote on William Shatner's Tech War series, (laughs) um, along with uh, Earth Final Conflict, and created the Netflix Princess Switch movies. (laughs) So bringing the romance cred from this episode into Netflix, I guess. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Um, this episode was directed by Alan Croker, uh, who's directed from the 80s up through now, including on yeah. uh, DS9 and Enterprise, along with Andromeda, Earth Final Conflict, Roswell, Firefly, Pushing Daisies, Chuck, Greenleaf, and again, Tech War. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot, a lot of Tech War love. Uh, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Al- Alan Croker, uh, huge, huge Star Trek director, uh, DC Sign Voyager Enterprise. He. 
he did, I think, almost 13 episodes for each of those series. So oh, wow. really, really established uh, director who did a lot of the uh, two parters and and finales as well. Love it. Okay, cool, cool. So they got a heavy hitter for this yeah. uh, for this episode. <laughs> it's funny. Well, I think you need it for a big period piece, big studio like back lot, uh, you know, mm. setting that this that this has. That's a good point. And and there's a lot to juggle because there's a lot of characters. Oh, a um, lot of characters. Yeah. 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 So no, that, that makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. It probably goes kind of understated because yeah, there's not a lot of action in this episode, but there is like, you do have to kind of keep these kind of very quiet scenes, very dynamic, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time. So that makes a lot of sense. It is it is interesting, like, this episode, there's not a ton of plot to it, which I think is good, because it yeah. lets you be very focused on the characters. The setup is essentially that Tom Paris created Fairhaven, which is this very detailed holiday program modeled after a 19th century Irish town, and it's a big hit. Nothing a little adjustment to the hollow matrix wouldn't fix? No, no, I'm not changing a thing. Fairhaven is perfect, just the way it is. Oh, Tommy boy, you forgot the leprechauns. <laughs> no, no leprechauns, no aliens, no starships. I want this to be a place where the crew can unwind. When the ship is about to, like, cross a neutronic wavefront space <laughs> storm thing. That's they they dumb- literally have to drop anchor. Like, that's, that's the terminology <laughs> in the episode. They have to drop anchor and quote-unquote, weather the storm, so yeah. Sure. The neutron radiation is disrupting plasma flow. We can't jump to warp. Impulse power won't be enough to outrun that thing. And we'll have to ride it out. We'll generate an inverse warp field and drop anchor. That should protect us from the turbulence. Go to yellow alert. Tom, Bellana, get started on converting the warp core. Yes, ma'am. Let's batten down the hatches. Whatever that means, that it, either way, it's basically like as if a ship was in a real storm. It's going to be long and stressful. They're like, everybody's batting down the hatches. We should try to keep up morale by letting Fairhaven run 24-7 and have an open door policy so everyone can kind of come and go as they please. And that's how we get an episode that pretty much mostly takes it takes place yeah. within Fairhaven. With no real... <laughs> consideration for some of the alien crew i think like who oh that's a good point <laughs> like i i would imagine and and probably some of the human crew too it's like wait you got both holodecks on lock for this like 19th century thing i'm not into this <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point yeah they're sort of like everyone loves it and i'm like well i've heard that like five people love it are you sure that it's not just the five of you that love it right. <laughs> And so the the big thing that happens is you know, everybody's having fun. They have a lot of like cuts to, to all the different characters. Yeah. Like the doc, the doctor is uh, like a, a he's priest the town preacher. priest. Yeah, yeah, which is really it is funny that you like go to the holodeck to go to church. I like. I mean, I guess. <laughs> well, he's he's playing that that role in that in that uh, holodeck simulation. So he's he's he chose his character, and I guess he wants to. Uh, run around as a priest, <laughs> and he really gets yeah. into it. Just as the heathen did of old. After all, one spiteful act deserves another, right? Wrong! What these sinners have forgotten is that they are neighbors. He's in love with the sound of his own the voice. The, the, the doctor is always a little bit extra, for sure. Yeah, it's so fun. It's so fun. 
a lot of time is spent in the pub. Mm -hmm. Like everybody's kind of hanging out in the pub, playing rings and stuff. Um, And this is where Janeway meets Michael Sullivan, uh, who's played by Fenton McCowan, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, He's of of Merlin and Game of Thrones is the the thing or the things that I think he's most prominently known for Mm -hmm. right now. He's the Fairhaven barkeep uh, and they're like, they immediately hit it off. They're immediately smitten. That's pretty much the basis of the episode is like Jamie meets this guy and he's hot and she likes him. However, he's not as well read as she wants him to be. And also he has a wife. And so she's like, <laughs> I'm going to do something about that. Computer, display Fairhaven character, Michael Sullivan. Increase the character's height by three centimeters. Remove the facial hair. No, no, I don't like that. Put them back. About two days growth. Better. Oh, one more thing. Access his interpersonal subroutines, familial characters. Delete the wife. This is this is the line that kills so many people when she says, delete the wife. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there's like a gif of it. It's it's ridiculous. But yeah, she she makes him smarter. She makes him more, quote unquote, provocative. And even the computer's <laughs> like, what? Can you like clarify <laughs> that? <laughs> what does that mean? And yeah. she's so specific, like make him taller, but like three centimeters taller. Three centimeters. I'm like, it's- what? <laughs> Such a funny, I love how much she knows exactly what she wants. She's like, oh, I've thought about what my perfect man is. I, I have, I have notes about this. I know yeah. very specific specifications. And, and the, the other thing that, that cracked me up is like, he originally has kind of like this, this scruffy, uh, you know, unshaven look to him. And she's like, oh, I don't like that. Re- or she's like, remove the facial hair that completely unshaven. And then she's like. Add two days growth and it switches back. I swear to God, it's literally the same picture of it him. Absolutely is. Yeah. Uh, probably because they're sort of like, <laughs> they had to have that guy shave just for that one right. image. And that's just like, we're not going to have him like, like trim it, like grow it back. Just, we're just going to use the same picture. Right. Fine. <laughs> yeah. It's a really, it's a fun, I love that scene. Oh, it's yeah. so funny. I do understand <laughs> why people might be kind of out on the delete the wife thing. Cause it's, it's a funny line. It's, it's very fun. so funny. And she delivers it. So stone cold, classic Janeway style. <laughs> Delete the wife. I love that delivery. It is. It does. I do. I understand why people would be like, okay, but that does kind of contradict like the end of the episode and the moral of the episode, like the philosophical thing. Cause no one mentions that ever again, that she just deleted (laughs) a program from existence. Um, Like I thought that at the end of the episode, like, when she was potentially like kind of deciding to to leave him, say goodbye to him, essentially, she was going to bring his wife back or something so he could at least be happy. But no, the wife is never mentioned again. Nope. She just ceased to exist. Nope. Um, yeah. Funny line. Maybe could have been a mis- maybe is kind of a mistake for the ethical dilemma. But in the moment, I get it. Like oh, yeah. what she does. She's not thinking through that. It's just like. What if my what I'm gonna make my sex doll more more <laughs> more uh, more of my taste I guess. <laughs> uh, to note when um, when she does come back to the program and he's changed and you know he's sitting on uh, you know he's sitting on the bench in front of the train station. Fun fact: 
that back lot is also uh, what the good place used. Whoa. Oh, wow. So if you recognize a lot of those buildings and that street, yeah. it's that it's the same location because that was also used in the good place. That makes so. Yeah. It's it the universal felt, back lot. Yep. That makes sense. It felt so familiar, like the structure of like how the roads turn and everything yeah. and the types of buildings. That makes so much sense. Yep. Okay. Cool. <laughs> but here's a fun fact. So when they're like talking, he's talking and he's reading these these poems and he mentions a, a couple poets. Uh, Do you know Jane Eldon? Eldon? No, I've never met her. Well, I'd be terrified if you had. She's been dead 70 years. <laughs> no, I was, uh, I was thinking about her poetry. And what about Sean Gogarty? They have similar rhyming schemes. Jane Eldon and Sean Gogarty. Yeah, those are fictional poets. No way. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. Those those are made up names. They didn't That's even so funny. they didn't even bother to like <laughs> and even in the episode, Janeway's like, oh, the Irish have a long history of like many different authors and poets. <laughs> and they what? they made up a couple names. I swear to God. The, yeah. That's frustrating. Yeah. That's frustrating too, because in the in in the Spirit Folk episode, they make a lot of like real like, literary, real yeah. literature references. Yeah. But when it comes to Irish poets, it's just like, well, fuck that. They don't, <laughs> they, they, we don't. They don't care. We don't care. They don't matter. Jeez. Okay. I can understand why some I, some some Irish people may be mad yeah. at this episode. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, the disrespect. Yeah, but you know. Kind of alluded to the ethical dilemma of all of this, but like you see throughout the episode that like as 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 Janeway's created this sort of perfect man for herself out of this guy, mm-hmm. out of this pre-existing program, like she does seem to genuinely fall in love with him. They have a big kiss. They like sh- share a dance together. It's all very romantic. It's all very like it's all very romance novel in that right. like romance novels are sort of built for you to kind of like put yourself into like the protagonist space as if you're also romancing the person that they're romancing. Like that's kind of what the genre does. And she's sort of doing that with the holodeck by like building her own romance novel around herself, building the perfect romance. Mm -hmm. And I think that I honestly didn't really expect this to be the turn that the episode took. I I genuinely didn't know exactly where it was going when I was watching it. Um, So I was kind of surprised that like she very quickly abandons this and I like that it takes a while before they really explain that because really you see her kind of at her happiest with, with Michael. Yeah. And then it's like, they come back from commercial and she's like burning her poetry books. <laughs> she, yeah. like, okay. Drama queen. <laughs> well, well that, that's the thing. It's like right after that kiss. And, and even before that, um, that's when Chakotay showed up and uh, you know, he popped up and even tells her, Oh, you know, nice to see her having a little bit of fun. He's a hologram. I couldn't help but notice he seemed a little taller than the last time I saw him. Yes, I made a few modifications. In the interest of Irish culture. Exactly. You seemed embarrassed when I ran into you. There was no reason to be. It was nice to see you having a little fun. And I I think she starts to feel guilty at that point, especially after, um, you know, the really big kiss that that they share. And... Mm -hmm. That's that's her dilemma. That's her personal dilemma. She's like, well, why why am I having so much fun? Almost like I'm not allowed to have fun because I'm the captain. Yeah. And that's something Janeway struggles with 
throughout the show. It's it's not just this episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's like that is such a real thing too, right? Like obviously this is a very bizarre situation sure. to be in. But like I think the reality of like I think there's a lot of ways you can read it. Like if you're sort of like, well, there's a lot of bad things happening in the world and here I am just like living my life and having a blast. That seems kind of unfair to people who have like terrible lives and stuff. I should do something about that. Or even on like more of a micro scale, like anytime that you uh, have a lot of work to do or a lot of projects that you work on or work freelance or something. And it's sort of like, well, I'm relaxing right now, but I could be getting something done. Like that's how it kind of reads to me. You know, <laughs> been feeling that during the pandemic for sure. <laughs> right, right. It's just sort of like, why well, I, I, I shouldn't be allowed to have fun because there's always so much to do. Yeah. And I have so much responsibility that I need to take care of. Like, why, why am I doing this? You know, um, and it's very real. And it's just sort of like, nah, girl, go out and party. You deserve <laughs> this. It's fine. But the other side of the ethical problem that I find so fascinating mm-hmm. is like and and we don't it takes a little bit before we get this but she explains it to the doctor she was just hanging out with Michael and he fell asleep while they were in, like in the park very romantic and he started snoring and she's like well cool i could just ask the computer to like delete his snoring because it's annoying and which is a beautifully like mundane moment because it's at that right. point that she's like this is kind of fucked up that every little thing that I, every minor thing that I don't like about him, I can just change to my will. Yeah. So like, what am I doing here exactly? Am am I that much of a control freak? Which is a huge realization for a captain of a starship to have. Tell me what happened. Oh, you know the story. Girl meets boy, girl modifies boy subroutines. Did you have intimate relations? That's none of your business. Let's just say it was a memorable three days. I don't see the problem. Don't you? Michael Sullivan is exactly my type. Attractive, intelligent. We share the same interests. And if there's something I don't like, I can simply change it. I've noticed that humans usually try to change the people they fall in love with. What's the difference? In this case, it works. But yeah, it's it's a big personal, you know, moment for her because... Yeah, it's like, well, I could just delete that. And, you know, the doctor has has a funny line where it's like, well, isn't, you know, in every relationship, isn't one person trying to change the other <laughs> at some point? Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it's like, I love that they have the doctor here yes. to have this conversation with because his whole deal is that he is a yep. hologram himself. I understand your trepidation, but you're the captain. You can't have a relationship with a member of your crew. They're all your subordinates. So where does that leave you? The occasional dalliance with a passing alien? Voyager could be in the Delta Quadrant for a very long time. A hologram may be the only logical alternative. He's not real. He's as real as I am. Photons and force fields, flesh and blood, it's all the same as long as your feelings are real. He makes a joke, you laugh. Is that an illusion? He says something that makes you think. Does it matter how his molecules are aligned? Did it ever occur to you that it's not just a question of whether or not he's real? What do you mean? I think you should stop trying to control every aspect of this relationship. Romance is born out of differences, as well as similarities. Out of the unexpected, as well as the familiar. And obviously, he's like a different kind of program than a holodeck one, because he's like built to be to learn and stuff right. like that. But at the end of the day, like, of course, he's going to be the guy who's going to be repping for the holograms 
having real feelings, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> it, it, that's great. You know, in, in the last season of Voyager too, uh, because he does fight for holographic rights and he becomes a champion, uh, for that cause. And it's, it's great to hear him in these couple episodes. Um, you know, he even slips up in, in the next episode we'll talk about by, um, you know, calling himself, you know, force fields and photons and, and the, uh, the Fairhaven folk are like, okay, he must be, you know, taking a sip <laughs> from the, the coffers over there. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's really good stuff. And that, that's the kind of thing where like, again, I can't, I can't get behind the argument that this is a bad episode of Star Trek because like that is a very Star Trek ethical dilemma yeah. to have like t this idea of like, these are, this is artificial intelligence and we're living in a, in a future where, where this artificial intelligence is extremely advanced. Mm -hmm. um, so how far, like at, at what point do you draw the line where like it's, it's, it's like actually has personhood that you should care about, you know? And like, it reminds me honestly of like, when I play video games mm -hmm. and you have the option to like be cruel to video game characters and I just can't bring myself to do that. Right. Like I can't, I've never been able to do a renegade run through of mass effect. Really? I've never been able to, I have tried and I just feel really bad being mean <laughs> to the people that I love. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. And like, they're not, obviously they're not nearly on the same level as these holodeck characters are grown to be. Cause these are grown to be like well-rounded people, even with the certain limitations, even the ones that aren't built to like grow or change are still like able to react to you in ways that like video games that we have obviously never right. could. But like the characters in a video game to me are still like, in the weird off chance that like you could feel, I would feel bad if I made you feel bad. Like it's absurd, but it's really, it's like, I, I always have had that barrier within me and it feels kind of like an elevated idea of that where it's just like, I don't know. Sometimes like, even if technically like intellectually, you know that this piece of equipment is just technology that doesn't, that doesn't actually have feelings. It's still like, I still don't, want to hurt their feelings <laughs> even if they don't exist like it doesn't make sense but i don't know it's a weird empathy thing that that's really strange <laughs> no i i totally get it and you know that's kind of the crux of of this episode because when janeway disappears after that incident because the program is running 24 7 on the holodeck and that's a sticking point for both of these episodes that these holograms are actually given the ability to you know, kind of like the doctor learn and grow and start to feel these feelings. And yeah, uh, even, you know, when they go into the bar, like uh, Tom and, and the doctor and uh, Harry Kim, they find Michael Sullivan just like sitting at a table in his bar drinking and he hasn't drunk in, you know, in the story in 15 years, quote unquote. Are you sure you didn't uh, misinterpret her interests? I mean, we're all friends here. Maybe she was just being friendly. You're calling me a liar? No, 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 not at all. I thought Katie and me were in love. I may have to do some reprogramming. Well, what's the matter? You don't think I'm good enough for her? No, I, I didn't say that. Well, tell me where she's gone. I don't know. He's a depressed hologram, and, you know, Tom starts to, <laughs> like... You know, try to stick up for Janeway and or try to relieve the situation and it ends up going into a full scale uh, bar fight. And that's, you know, right before the yeah. conversation between uh, the doctor and, and Janeway. So it, it's I think it's just a, a really 
well done episode. I, I know, you know, Irish stereotypes and all that aside, sure. um, just for, for Captain Janeway and uh, a little bit for the doctor too, because we get his perspective as uh, a holographic uh, being. Well, and it's like, it is such an interesting question because it's like if these characters are sort of learning and growing and going through you know emotional changes Mm -hmm. and evolutions because you're leaving the hologram on for so or hologram because you're leaving the holodeck on for so long then that implies that the only that that any holodeck character could potentially have the ability to do that and evolve and the only thing stopping them is because you literally like turn off their existence like every so often and then reset it and so then that opens like a whole can of worms because it's sort of like well so are you just sort of like depriving these characters you create the the ability to like evolve and go on and become like real sentient people just because you're turning them off and then it's sort of like well what right do you have to do that like oh yeah there's there's and (laughs) i mean there's a deep space nine episode like that too where there was uh like a a planet of uh like a holographic city that this guy created because he didn't want to lose his family and then that's a whole nother can of worms but yeah it's one of those star trek you know classical not just from a moral standpoint but from an ethical standpoint like are we kind of creating a new life here and uh, next generation did that beautifully with data um Mm -hmm. a specifically measure of a man that's just such a great episode about uh, data's rights as as an android and yeah you kind of dip the toes into that ethical quandary with uh with this episode and the next yeah. episode for sure yeah 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 it's it's interesting stuff and especially wild that it's like kind of like they don't they don't go very heavy on no, it in no, no. this episode um which you know again if i guess if if people are watching it for the sci-fi ethical dilemma stuff maybe it's not going to deliver as much on that because it only kind of wades into that barely it's mostly interested in this being a romance novel pastiche essentially yeah. um but the fact that star trek could do a romance novel essentially like or or conversely, that you could do a ro- you could only do a romance novel that has those questions with sort of Star Trek as your foundation. You know, mm-hmm. like you, I, I think that that's very interesting. And like, and also, you know, there's plenty of parallels to just Janeway dealing with having a controlling personality or exactly. something like that, which is a real thing that people have. You know, and I, I kind of like where it, where all of this lands because. Uh, by by the, by the end of the storm and everything, a lot of the holodeck program just gets damaged, just because that's what Neutronic wave storms well, do, I guess. Well, they because they <laughs> when they had to ride out the last bit of of the wave front, um, they needed to draw emergency power, so the program mm. was still on, and them pulling power from the holodeck, uh, it's essentially like pulling a USB out when it's not ready to be unseated, and it. Has the possibility to corrupt the program. And that's what we see at the end of this episode. They're only able to salvage about 10% of it. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. That's actually, that's a very good explanation. I, whenever techno babble happens, I'm oh, just yeah. sort of like, okay, whatever, I'm not <laughs> listening. But that actually, that actually makes a lot of sense. And and that, <laughs> that was her decision in the moment because, mm-hmm. because Harry Kim, when he was telling her, like, you know, we can get that extra power from the holodeck but we're going to lose most of the program. Janeway had to make that snap decision 
not knowing whether or not Michael would survive or not. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like kind of ultimately, you know, she's still choosing the crew right. over the holograph, the, the holographic guy, mm-hmm. um, her holographic love, um, which, you know, would be especially tragic if he was lost because she never really got to say goodbye to him or anything. She hasn't been back and uh, really substantially right. since, uh, since she dipped out. But, uh, but luckily Michael does survive this. So she has like one last chat with him in this episode um, you know, before they kind of have to shut down Fairhaven for, to rebuild it. I have a feeling that uh, you won't be forgetting this that easily. Fairhaven has that effect on people. But there's one thing I want you to know. I love you, Katie. I might actually be passing this way in uh, six or seven weeks. Maybe I'll stop by the pub. See that you do. And like, it is kind of a good note because she is basically sort of like trying to explain that she has to go and, and it's just not going to, it's not going to be the best for her right now, but still leaving the opening to return later on. Yeah. Um, references like six to seven weeks, which spoiler six episodes later, yep. we get another episode where they go back, yep. uh, which I think is really clever. I, I love that they did. I that. thought that was amazing timing that they had the foresight where it's like, Hey, maybe we could do another one of these episodes and let's throw <laughs> that line in there. So yep. I thought that was just great planning where they're like, Paris is like, Oh yeah, I can fix this program in like six to seven weeks. <laughs> yeah. And in real time, six yeah. weeks later, we get the, the next episode. So good. I love that. It's so clever. The other thing that I really love is that like, so she doesn't, she doesn't fully close the door on this guy. Right. 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 Like it does seem like she's going to be saying goodbye to him. And then she's sort of like, yeah, I might be passing through again. So we'll be, we'll be back. This isn't over. Um, and so what she does is she has the computer deny access to like to, for her to ever modify his behavioral subroutines, which means that like, she can't just, change him willy nilly like she had been, which kind of alleviates her fears and puts them a little more on a little more on equal ground than they were before. Exactly. She denies herself the ability to make any changes to his program. And I just thought that was, you know, a great moment for her just in terms of, you know, realizing what the problem is and in true Star Trek fashion, well, there's always a techno babble solution and it's just, right. you know, just deny me access to a lo- to edit the program again. Boom. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And I mean, it's sort of like that doesn't obviously that doesn't solve like the ethical dilemma right, or whatever, right. but it does. But it does help. You know, the doctor referenced how, like, when you're in a relationship, you do, there are points when you kind of want to change each other. And, and the way I sort of read this is sort of like when you're in a relationship, you compromise, right? Yeah. So, like, she's changed certain things in him, but, like, this is where she draws the line and is never going to be able to do it ever again. Even though she could theoretically have the power to make him perfect for her, um, that's 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 not really fair if, if she does want to see him as sort of like a living, breathing person. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is sort of her way of, like basically giving away her godhood for like a real relationship with them, which is sort of fascinating. And for her to do that also, you know, that's not to say she could change him in the future just by talking. Cause if he is really like evolving as a holographic program or, you know, he just has a little bit more sentience or um, mm-hmm. agency to him, um, you know, she can have now probably deeper conversations, like make him, realize that something might not be working in their relationship and 
actually yeah. talk it out. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah. If, if you're treating them like a real, like a, as real of a person as he could be, right. then like that's what you do with real people. Exactly. So. The only other thing I have to say about this episode is that there is a, an article that I found on star Trek.com um, from earlier this year, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. And it's an article written by a romance novelist, Alice Murray. And she's basically writing about how, like, from a romance author's perspective, like, she really loves this episode Mm. in how it pays homage to romance novels. And that's sort of like, you know, a lot of feelings, negative feelings for the episode for a lot of people, even if they would be on board with a holodeck might be disparaging just because a lot of people just consider romance novels as a genre, like kind of trashy or bad. Mm-hmm. And therefore this one is, and you know, her sort of, I, her sort of thing is sort of like romance novels are about heroin, like readers putting themselves in the shoes of a romantic heroine, which Janeway does. Yeah. Um, and also that like, she says, and I quote, romance means believing you are worthy of a happy ending. And despite all that Janeway's endured and that her crew's endured over six years in the Delta Quadrant, she still retains the optimism that everything will work out fine in the end because she gives herself over to the idea that she deserves a happy ending by deciding to have this romance with Michael Sullivan, um, which I think is a really beautiful idea. And yeah. I think sort of speaks to what you were referring to earlier, where it's sort of like she never allows herself to, to just sort of like have fun because she's the captain and in this case it's sort of like that that is an optimistic point of view that like if you believe that you are deserving of romance that means that you're deserving of a happy ending in general um which like for a show like this that is predicated on like what seems to be an impossible never-ending journey that'll never have an ending like that's kind of a beautiful optimistic idea to have you know yeah i mean that's that's a fantastic point because there's a lot of um, moments in Voyager as a series where Janeway struggles with her happiness and, you know, the sacrifices that she has to make for the crew to get them home because she's so driven to get them home based on her promise of the premiere episode. She wants to get everyone home and she will do anything it takes, you know, short of you know, violating the prime directive or, you know, doing anything ethically bad to get them there. And so Mm -hmm. she always has this serious front, but at the same time, you know, with like seven of nine and, and Cass and some of the other characters, she helps them grow uh, in a very, you know, maternal type of way, but also as a captain and a leader should help their, the people under them grow and give their own chances to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, did you have any other, any other thoughts about this particular episode before we move on to the other one? Uh, I, I just want to say that I think it's very funny that a Vulcan like Tuvok can basically get seasick. I thought, Oh yeah. That, I forgot about that. <laughs> I thought that was a, a nice little moment. Like he's getting these headaches. He's kind of queasy. And then Neelix yeah. comes over and is like, <sighs> well, that was my first choice too, but replicating the lamb's intestines, it, it could be tricky. And every time I try to heat the blood, it coagulates in the milk. If you'll excuse me. Yeah. I'm, I'm making a very authentic Irish dinner tonight. <laughs> and I just, I need to get the blood pudding curdled just right. And it's, it's hilarious. I, I, I love it. 
It's so good. Like at first I thought that it was going to go somewhere serious. Like, Oh no, there's some like weird, like the hot, the, the politic being on for so long is creating like some weird effects that are impacting the crew. It's like, Oh no, he's literally just seasick. That's, that's all it is. That's <laughs> and then the other, the other very, very funny moment um, that isn't related to the main plot, but one of the main characters uh, when uh, Seamus, one of the uh, holographic characters, um, <laughs> starts hitting on seven of nine. Saints preserve us. I possess superior hand-eye coordination. That's not all that's superior. The lily and the rose are staging a competition on your face. Clarify. The fullness of your lips and the paleness of your cheeks, it's enough to make a man faint. Then in that case, perhaps we should sit down. And it actually oh works. God. She's like, yeah, well, we could just talk or whatever. And Harry Kim's <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it's so good. It's, 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 mm. it's great. And it's one of those episodes where there's a lot of very cute and funny side yeah. moments with a lot of these characters because it's a holodeck episode. They're having fun. It's one right. of the few times that, you know, a Starfleet officer can let their hair down, so to speak, and just... Right you know, enjoy what technology has afforded them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're fun. And I'm sure it's fun for the cast to be able to oh, do that. Oh, with too. the costumes and everything? Yeah. Can you imagine? Oh my God. I If I was an actor on that show, I would have a field day with this episode. Like you get to be outside yeah. on a back lot in period accurate clothing and just having a blast. It, it, it looks yeah. so fun. Yeah, absolutely. You just like dance around a little pub and stuff. Like it's, yeah, I'm sure it's super fun. Yeah. Yeah. So this next episode uh, continues the arc six episodes later, spirit folk. The synopsis for IMDb for this episode is for the holographic inhabitants of Fairhaven, unworldly actions from Voyager personnel fit only one explanation. They're fairy folk. <laughs> the original air date was February 23rd, 2000. This episode is written by Brian Fuller, um, who uh, is an executive, an executive story editor in Voyager yes. and also created Star Trek Discovery um, and wrote on Deep Space Nine and notably created Pushing Daisies, yes. which uh, as would have, if you're listening to this, we would have recently had an episode come out on that show, actually, uh, as well as Dead Like Me, Hannibal, and he developed the American Gods adaptation. And um, one of my favorite shows that didn't get enough uh, love was Wonderfalls. Wonderfalls is so fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love Wonderfalls. This episode was directed by David Livingston, who was a supervising producer on Voyager, TNG, and DS9, and also directed on Sliders, Threshold, and Star Trek Enterprise. Love it. So this episode, it this episode is basically Fairhaven Part 2, essentially. Yes. Um, it does take place after it's been rebuilt, and it's back up and running 24-7 again because of the popularity. But uh, this episode, I think, sort of takes... A little, a little uh, granule of of uh, of an idea from the previous episode that you know wasn't explored super in depth, which is that if you're running the holodeck twenty four seven all the time, the characters are going to keep on living, which means they're going to keep on evolving. They throw in an added wrinkle, and that that also means they're going to like glitch out more, right. I guess, essentially. And the combination of that means that this episode's whole premise is that between the glitches and between them evolving. Um, they actually like are able to notice the Voyager crew doing things that they otherwise aren't supposed to notice. So things like 
repairing tires or changing the weather, <laughs> turning people into cows. <laughs> they they're not like Voyager crew expects them to not see that right. see that see this because of perfect perception filters yes. or whatever, but they do. And so you know, to them, living in 19th century Ireland, it's like. Oh, so this is fucking magic that I'm seeing right now. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> and and it does it does happen also in the first episode in Fairhaven because there's a moment when they're called to the bridge and uh one of the guys or, or that Seamus character he's like what's a neutronic wavefront? And so you start to see hints of that in the previous episode where they start to notice like certain phrases, even Michael Sullivan, when Chakotay calls Janeway captain, he's like, wait, he just called you captain. What does that mean? And so there's like hints of that in the previous episode, which I thought was a cool detail. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that as an idea. Like what if you're, what if your simulation became self-aware, like a super basic sci-fi premise, but like doing it within the context of, Oh, but your simulation is like a 19th century town. So they're going to have very specific, you know, they're going to have very specific views and beliefs. And also you as like the crew member are for a long time unaware that they are becoming self-aware. And so it's this really interesting. I mean, it's a really interesting, like high concept kind of sci-fi idea Mm -hmm. um, of that, you know. The entire town vanished. Every post, every nail, poof, into thin air, never to be seen again. Are you suggesting that Fairhaven's going to go the way of Kilmanen just because we have a few new folks in town? I'm suggesting you keep an eye on Tom Paris and his cohorts, not to mention that lady friend of yours. So Katie's some kind of goblin now, is that it? She certainly cast a spell on you. The way this episode kind of deals with it is that, like, yeah, they... These, these townspeople sort of see these individual events happening and sort of collectively sort of believe the, f- the folktale legends um, that are just part of their culture that like, oh, these are like fae folk, they're spirit folk, they're these like magical beings. And, you know, other legends tell that supernatural beings like this show up and then end up basically destroying a town or making everyone cease to exist or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and And so like, that's pretty much the crux of the episode is that uh, everyone sort of the town collectively realizing that, uh, that these are invaders that are like supernatural beings and the crew, like realizing that, Oh shit, there's glitches in the system causing them to believe this. And how do we repair this? Uh, if, if this sort of belief is like spreading through the holodeck program. One of my favorite lines is when Janeway says, I've got a boyfriend that malfunctions. <laughs> Absolutely freaking hilarious. I love it. It's so funny. It's so funny. Uh, one thing I do want to note before we get super deep into it. Yeah. The teaser for this episode mirrors almost exactly what happens in the teaser for the last episode. Because it's Tom Paris focus. He meets mm-hmm. up with Seamus who asks him for money for drinking. And that sets the episode up. Like, oh, it, it totally mirrors it. And I only noticed it because I watched these back to back. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, that did, I did. That didn't even occur to me. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that's I, I really, I really like that little detail. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just, I mean, they go hand in hand. It makes sense. And it's just, yeah, this episode focuses on different things than the first one does, but mm-hmm. they're all kind of collectively focused on similar things and kind of the same things at the same time. Right. Yeah. Let's see. I mean, the the main the main plot beats is that, you know, when the big like dramatic thing is that, <laughs> well, there's a couple of dramatic things, actually. I guess one thing that's interesting is that they do pull up the Michael Sullivan program to like try and diagnose and repair him. So it's like they're on the Voyager in the sort of holodeck room. And you see this even in the last episode where they can pull up like the image. The individual of the program, programs. right. Right. Like the individual program of the person and like they're unaware, like they're it's it's just like when you're talking to a computer. But because of the sort of like evolution and glitches that he's going through, he is like aware that he is on a spaceship right now. Where am I, Quest Kitty? You shouldn't be aware that he's in the lab. I've isolated the damaged subroutines. I said, where the hell am I? It's all right, Michael. Take it easy. What is the space? Try to relax. If someone doesn't tell me where I am, I'm going to start busting heads. His perceptual filters are malfunctioning. What are you saying? What's a perceptual filter? It's it's okay. We're trying to help you. There. Look at these. Those are the algorithms designed to keep him oblivious to anything outside the program's parameters. They're offline. Give me a minute. That should do it. How are you feeling, Michael? Never better and is noticeably freaked out. Um, And what's really interesting is that he's like smart enough to recognize that, to kind of recognize what they're talking about with perceptual filters or whatever they call it. Um, And so he like plays along and it's just like, he's like, Oh, uh, you know, the Harry, young Harry, uh, (laughs) that guy's looking for a rematch for arm wrestling and Oh, Tom, are you going to come to the bar and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, he's able to play that off, which I thought was, was brilliant. It's, and and it shows it's another way to show that these carrot hologram characters, holodeck characters are actually evolving and they're learning and they're, they're able to interpret their uh, situation. He outsmarts them. Yeah. Like, it's really funny. Yeah, he straight up outsmarts them. And so that means when he goes back to the town, he's like, yeah, so I think they pulled me into their spirit realm or something. <laughs> <laughs> so it's for real. This magic stuff is real. Um, I don't remember exactly when the scene is, if it's before or after this. Uh, but he does, like, kind of straight up ask Janeway about it and, like, tell her about his beliefs. Yes. The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. Thank you, Michael. I'll start reading it tonight. I love epic poetry. Really? I didn't know that. It seems as if there's a lot of things I don't know about you. I thought you'd want to know there's been some talk about you and your friends. Strange things have been happening around town. Folk are saying you're to blame. What kind of strange things? People using unholy magic, vanishing into thin air, changing the weather. By any chance, would all of this have anything to do with your reading suggestion? As a matter of fact. Don't tell me. They say I'm the fairy queen. Frankly, they could tell me you're the devil himself, and I wouldn't care. He does it by giving her a copy of The Fairy Queen, Mm -hmm. which is like an epic poem about the fairy queen. And it's like, I think you're the fairy queen yourself, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was that that was a great moment. Um, That he actually gave her the book before he found out that they were 
before he gotcha. went to the lab. Yeah. So yeah. kind of he I think that was his moment to to test Janeway a bit, uh, which was really good. Um, one of the things that I liked at, at the crux of, of this episode and something of, of a warning, because we didn't see a lot of uh, Balana Torres. Uh, she's the chief engineer. We didn't see much of her. I don't think we saw her at all. Or if we did, maybe one scene in the last episode. But mm-hmm. in this episode, uh, she totally warns them from the start. Like, look, I've had to replace all these hologram emitters. Like, you guys are pushing this to the limits. And so she was that kind of canary in the coal mine. Like, look, you guys are playing with fire by keeping this running all the time. And, yeah. and, and it, it it backfires on them. Yeah. Well, she and, she and Seven of Nine, I feel like both pose some really good like counterpoints to yeah. the whole premise of, of this, you know, like you, you know, you, the people who have spent a lot of time in Fairhaven and have fallen in love with people there are like, no, they're real. We shouldn't get rid of them. And Bellata and seven and nine are sort of like, it's a computer program guys. Like we're not going to, we're not going to like kill our crew <laughs> for the sake of, of this like video game. Just, like what just, are you doing? Just cut the program. Like just cut <laughs> yeah. the power. Turn it off, you weirdos. <laughs> and like, you know, to Janeway's credit, it's, it's, she's she's always just like, I mean, we can eventually do that, but let's like try not to first. Right, right. My boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> um, like the reason they're having they're having that conversation in the first place is because when Tom and Harry go into the program to like, to fix like, it, yeah to fix it from the inside, I guess. Um, they, The rest of the town's like, mm, we know what's going on now, so we're going to kidnap you and do try to, you know, do some mystical chants and stuff to well, to make the, the spirit folk go away. <laughs> what's kind of, kind of a little error on the part of it, because um, when they're repairing the console or whatever that's hidden in the bar, um, the townsfolk see it and they already have like guns and pitchforks uh, yeah. going. Um, one of the characters actually shoots the panel and that's when things start to go nuts. But it's when it's shorting out, then the computer's like uh, safety safeties are now like holodeck safety protocols yeah. are offline. And I'm like, but if they were online, then that holographic bullet wouldn't have been able to right. damage the panel in the first place. Yep. Yeah. I thought the same thing. I, I think like, I, I think that this episode is weaker than the first sure. one because I do think that I, I think this last half of it is a little messy for like what you just said, where it kind of doesn't make sense. And I can, I can get behind like, just like, uh, whatever. It's a weird plot hole or weird, like, you know, weird thing. Doesn't yeah, make sense, pro- but you're doing it for the right. sake of, uh, you know, of sake of the story. I can get behind that. I do understand the criticism of like so many holodeck episodes are about the holodeck malfunctioning yes. and now the safeties are off. And like, I give a lot of credit to the first Fairhaven episode that that never happened. Exactly. It's, it's all a character based ethical dilemma. And this one, I feel like they kind of have to force a very typical holodeck, trope thing into it just to up the stakes for their thing when like I don't know I don't know if they really even needed to I think it could have just been a more low stakes episode where the question is sort of like do we tell the holodeck characters the truth or not like Mm -hmm. I think the stakes are interesting enough as it is with just that you know yeah I can definitely see that Um, I think you know they wanted to uh, inject a little action into it which I, I can I can totally understand that Besides that, I do like the fact that 
the townspeople were smart enough, you know, to capture three Starfleet trained personnel <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, kind of try to turn the tables. And and what was brilliant about that is when the, the townsfolk find the doctor's mobile emitter, which allows him to be, allows his program to be separate from the holodeck. And that what, that's what allows him to walk around the ship and everything when they're able to take that away from him. And then his program gets integrated into the Fairhaven simulation. And that's mm. when he's able to be affected by the hypnosis and the spells <laughs> that so they're pulling. <laughs> and I thought, I thought that was great because yeah, now, now his program is directly interfacing with theirs and he's bound to the same rules of the world that they are. I thought that was great. Yeah. I like that. And I, I mean, I like, you know, credit to the, uh, to the townsfolk of Fairhaven that like the, the doctors should be like OP in this environment yes. and they, they still get one up on him and like capture him. So, yeah, <laughs> which then that, that allows, that allows Michael Sullivan to beam onto the bridge when they're trying to pull yeah. the doctor out. And uh, just another great moment for now, he can see Janeway's world. It's very cool. I, and I mean, how weird must that be if you're just like on the bridge of a ship and then like a dude from the 19th century just shows up <laughs> right. there and it's like, what's going on? This is a starship. It's called Voyager. I know. Should I transfer him back to the holodeck? No. My name isn't Katie Eau Claire. It's Catherine Janeway. Captain Catherine Janeway. It's going to be difficult to explain. Maybe it's best if I just show you. You've seen my world. It seems fair that I should have a chance to see yours. And like to Janeway's credit, she's sort of like, let's just talk about this. Yeah. I'm going to show you everything, man. We're just going to tell you almost the entire truth. I, I give a lot of credit to the episode because I do think that it's it's all very smart in not being like, yeah, we're going to tell you everything because mm -hmm. if these people were told that they're computer simulations, it would fundamentally break their brains. Right. Like it would destroy them. So they basically tell them everything but that. It's essentially like, yeah, we're visitors from the stars who come in peace. We're like the time traveler from H.G. Wells', Wells yes. time machine. A an actual author, not, not a fictional poet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I love that. Like, I think that that's really smart, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's, it's the best way to sort of bridge that gap. And also like, I mean, you don't have to tell them your, their computer simulations because your plan here is to sort of treat them as much like real people as you can yeah. in a situation. Yeah. Um, and it is sort of like, yeah, this is our deal. We're not magical. We're just like from basically more or less from the future, essentially mm -hmm. is the easiest way to explain it. Long story short, when like Janeway and Michael having the sort of, you know, having the sort of bond now that, that they've sort of aired out everything, um, are able to kind of talk the, the whole, the townsfolk down and stop them from burning Tom, Harry and the doctor <laughs> alive, I guess was their plan. Um, well, that's, that's what I liked about the resolution because the resolution was ultimately talking out the problem and, and working it out. We never meant to frighten anyone. Seamus, you were right about one thing. They are quite different from us, but not in so many ways that we can't be friends. And we're not spirit folk. Some of our technology may seem like magic, 
But I assure you it's not. Katie Shaw made things that are beyond our comprehension. They have machines that I can't begin to describe, but not once have they used them against us. Quite the opposite, in fact. These are not the deeds of spirits and mischief makers. But they turned Maggie into a cow. Uh, that'll never happen again. I swear. There, you see, we have his word. And if we can't trust a man's word in Fairhaven, what can we trust? If you want, we'll leave and never bother you again. But we'd prefer to find some way to keep our friendship alive. I like the resolution for the townsfolk. It's like, look, everything that we did for you that was magical was to help you. Like, that person saved your child from the well. You didn't like the weather. It's sunny now. Like, nothing yeah. is malicious. So I, I like that it it turned back on the townspeople. Like, yeah, we're totally scared and we think that they're fairies. But, well... There's a point there. Like, they didn't do anything bad to hurt us except, you know, maybe turn the one woman into a cow. Into a cow. <laughs> but they turned her back and yeah, they'll never do yeah, it again. Yeah, so it's yeah, fine. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's fun. Yeah. I mean, and that's so it's it's pretty much like just a happy like it doesn't take much for the town to just be like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. They're great now. Um, we, we just got magic in our town and that's fun. Um, cause yeah, so I mean like it's more or less a happy ending. Uh, like they, they do realize that they won't be able to run the program 24 right. seven. The, the, the sort of like gra the progressive evolution that's been happening isn't going to be able to continue really happening. Um, but you know, it's not like they're shutting down the town forever or anything. Exactly. Um, we never see the, sh the town in the series again, as far as I know. We don't, we don't. But, but you can just assume that it still happens every so often. And they have one more fun little night uh, in town. Janeway gives Michael Sullivan a copy of a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, <laughs> which is really uh, fun. Another real book. <laughs> another real book, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, and I do also like, uh, like the bit where Michael Sullivan is telling Janeway. You know, Thank you, Katie. Or Catherine now, is it? They say if you know a spirit's true name, that it renders you impervious against her charms. Do you think there's any truth in that? Not a word. I, I heard if you know a spirit's true name, it renders them impervious to her charm, because uh, he now knows that Janeway's name is Catherine Janeway and not, uh, was it Kate O'Claire, I think she was Katie calling Katie O'Claire, yep. Katie O'Claire, yeah. She's like, nah, no, nah, that's true. That's not true. But, but it like, is. Technically, yeah, because uh, she she locked deny... herself out. Yeah, so she actually like can't use her charms on him because she can't change him, <laughs> which I think is very clever. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that that was such a fun little line too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Also, this is just a random fun fact, but like when like the whole assumption here is that Janeway is the fairy queen, and and Michael even gives her a copy of the fairy queen in Gargoyles. Kate Mulgrew, before this episode came out, get out, voiced Lady Titania, right. who is Queen of the Fairies. In Gargoyles. In Gargoyles. That's yep. right. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, love I don't it. know if that was it. intentional or not. I don't either because like, yeah, that was, episode came out before this one. So oh, they might, it might have known. They might have known. That might have been a, a little in joke. Yeah. Oh, I, part of me hopes that that's, <laughs> that was that influenced that yeah i couldn't find anyone like comment on that explicitly so who knows but I, that's hey I, I brian fuller if you're listening 
<laughs> yeah, sure. I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the only other thing that I had, I just saw Seamus, the kind of bigger mustache guy, is pay- played by Richard Rihel. I don't know if that's how I pronounce his name, but he's one of those actors you see in everything. everything. Yep, he's in everything. Yep. And that's it's funny. He was like for me the most recognizable guy out of everybody. I, it's just I recognized like, oh, yeah. a, a couple people. Um, uh, Seamus's um, partner Milo in this episode was uh, Ian Ambercrombie, and he's he's another actor mm. that was in a lot of stuff. He was in Seinfeld. Um, he's just another one of those a- actors that's in. A ton of stuff. And he played quite a number of roles in Star Trek as well. Nice. Nice. I love it. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, they're all good. All the side players in these episodes are really Mm -hmm. fun. There's not an actor that, that I felt like is bad, which, you know, for a lot of these, especially like period piece type things you can often get like a big clunker or whatever so he's trying hard to do an accent and can't do it but i feel like everybody here more or less nails it i mean i can't speak for the accents i'm sure some of them aren't authentic or anything like that definitely finton mccowan's is though who played yeah uh, played michael and um they actually credit him in both of these episodes as a special guest star so he he was a big deal actor even back in the in the 90s for them to to get him Mm -hmm. For this. Yeah, I mean, and he's good. He's got really good chemistry with Kate Mulgrew. I like oh. them together a lot. Oh yeah. But yeah, you know, I think, um, I think like, I, I, I almost, it's, I am like, I'm, I am conflicted about this episode because sure. I do feel like it could have dealt a little more into the philosophy philosophical debate of the personhood of, of these holographic characters. Um, Cause as much as I love it commenting on like the doctor commenting on it in the episode, in the Fairhaven episode, I don't know if it's really commented on as much in this. Like, I feel like the conversations are more like, We'd, should we turn it off or not? Right, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I feel like they could have dove into that a little more. Like it feels weird that they were kind of afraid to really do that and opted for just like an action story instead. But it's still fun. Like it's still a cool idea, you know, of, of what if your hologram characters became self-aware. And that's, that's one of the things I do like about, about this episode. It's because it's not just a repeat of the last one. Um, you know, the last one was the romance and this tends to go into the, the supernatural a little bit. And I, I like that genre twist as well, because Think of how horrifying it was for those two characters to see uh, this woman turn into a cow and, you know, think Tom (laughs) and Harry are are gods, essentially. Like, I mean, they were pretty rightfully freaked out, like the whole townspeople were. Yeah. So so I I like that aspect of it where it was it was a different genre change, even though this is a sequel to the last episode. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They really I think they get a lot out of Fairhaven as a town. I'm. I'm sure a lot of fans are were happy they never revisited it, but I think it would have been interesting to see like a third revisitation of it if they had an idea for it, just to see how things continued or like to play in another sort of classical genre or something. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, as it stands, I think it's an, it's a very fascinating pair of episodes that I think has a lot of really interesting questions and and character character based stuff that I that I really enjoyed a lot. Did you have any other, any other thoughts or notes or anything from, from either of these episodes? Uh, not, not really any more notes. Um, I just thought that this reminded me a lot of what the next generation did with the character, the holographic uh, Moriarty 
um, because mm-hmm. they had that character for a couple episodes, like two or three episodes, and mm. you know raised some similar concerns. Um, but yeah, it just it gave me that very next generation feel, uh, like kind yeah. of like a classic holodeck type episode. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun, it's a classic sci-fi yeah. story. I like, I love that stuff. Well, cool. Thanks so much for uh, for doing this with me and bringing on your Star Trek knowledge. Absolutely. And everything to it. We'd, we'd love to do yeah. it again, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in the meantime, Eric, if people want to find you online or anything you're working on, where's the best place to find you? You can check out my Instagram and Twitter. I'm mainly on Twitter over at uh, TrekkieB47. Uh, you can check out my Power Rangers podcast over at rangercommand.com. Uh, you can find the links for all the social links for the show over there. And uh, we haven't talked in a while on Starfleet <laughs> Escape podcast, but you can listen to some of our uh, backlog over at the Four Eyed Radio Network. Nice, nice. Well, thank you again. If you'd like to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale or on my other podcasts, Walloping Web Snappers, Spider-Man Podcasts, which does deep dives into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made and Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon, which does monthly dives into every Pixar film chronologically. You can also follow this podcast at Gimmicks Pod on Twitter and Instagram for some extra goodies and email me your questions, feedback, and corrections to gimmickspodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on all podcast platforms. And until next time, friends, keep being weird.